everybody welcome to the 221st edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage and uh doing pretty well this week man uh just got off of family zoom and uh we uh found some old writing from my grandfather who uh got to explain a lot of like family history that we didn't know happened or existed like we thought that uh my great-grandfather came to this country, but it turns out his dad was the first, and then they had to go back to China for my grandfather's generation. So it, it was it was kind of cool, like, being with the family, learning about, you know, the history of where we came from. So I'm very uh, inspired to do a holy backboard. Yeah, it's always awesome when you can dig through the the history books, whether it's in sports or in your, your family's history, and uncover something that you have never found before. My my grandfather was born during the uh, uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act, when Chinese people weren't allowed to come to this country because you know reasons. So the fact that he was born American was kind of like a humongous benefit for me and my mom to be able to come to this country. So like, you know, to learn more about where you came from is hugely important and uh, definitely inspired me. I have a podcast about my family that it's taken forever to edit, but one of these days it will come out. But like, you know, learning about, about your history is a great way to learn about yourself. Absolutely. Um, I think with that, it's a great way to, uh, Kind of jump into uh, troubles of basketball about my DFS day, <laughs> and 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 the Saints winning as well. But uh, I remember a few years ago we had a holy backboard like directly after when the Saints got robbed. So you know, winning DFS we do, we do record on Sunday night, so it does yeah, have yeah. a high probability of. Well, the Saints normally don't lose ever since Drew Brees. Anyway, but yes, I remember the Vikings. Uh, screwing us over and then uh, i think the rams screwed us up ah, we're winning the super bowl this year and i'll i'll be happy well blazer fans got a little bit of joy this week but it was not without anger or disappointment or here we go again uh on monday the, the Trailblazers went 2-1 and one this week, and it got off to a, a rough start. There is no doubt about that. The Chicago Bulls came into uh, the Rose City and erased an 18-point first-quarter deficit, scored, I believe, 66 second-half points, and escaped with a 111-108 victory. Uh, then Portland bounced back. They, I mean, there's no better team to bounce back against than the Minnesota Timberwolves without Carl Anthony Towns. The bench really put together an incredible second period. Portland had 47 second quarter points. That is the most points in a second quarter in franchise history. They absolutely obliterated the Timberwolves 135 to 117. 
final score really wasn't indicative of how dominant of a performance uh, this one was really from the second quarter on. And then they had probably, I think, their second best performance of the entire season, uh, a thoroughly a thorough beatdown of the Sacramento Kings in Sacramento, 125 to 99. They led by 14 after one and just really rode that momentum all the way through throughout the, the rest of the game. And it sets up a really big week here in Rip City as the Blazers are in the midst of this, this long homestand and they only have one more road game, another one in Sacramento, which we will talk about later. But this is Portland's time to, to get right, Sage. Right now they are sitting at five and four and they are just a game back of, excuse me, uh, they're sitting at five and four and they are two back of, of the Lakers for the first seed out West, but really a half game back from, from Utah and a full game back from, from the Clippers for the three and the four seeds respectively. So right now it's really uh, nip and tuck in, in the Western conference, a game or two game win streak or lose streak can really vault you up um, three to four spots, either direction right now. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of, a lot of parody, you know, especially with you no know, fans and, and the COVID protocols. But of the three game week we just witnessed, Sage, what are some some areas that that really stood out to you, both both positive and needs improvement? In the Bulls game, we settled for the outside shot, and there's a benefit sometimes of just putting your head down and get going to the lane and try and manufacture points in the paint. Sometimes the Blazers just fall in love with that that three-point shot. When it's not dropping, if we can't get easy points at the paint or fouls or anything else, it, it, we our offense just goes to a standstill. So I think I think we got at some points in the, in the game we have to force it going inside, whether it's dropping it off to Ennis or Dame driving or CJ trying to manufacture something. Because falling in love with the threes when they're not dropping leads to the Bulls pulling ahead when we were up by 20. So manufacturing points. And we went against, you know, you, you mentioned it, the the best get right game. And then we went against the second best get right game, the two of the worst defenses in the league. And we looked good. I mean, we got to the rim. But I, I still think that there is going to be a problem manufacturing easy points. Getting those two dubs is huge. I really wish we could have gotten that win in uh, against Chicago, but we just fell in love with that outside jumper. And, you know, Zach Levine started falling in love with shooting and making it. And Kobe White looked good. Otto Porter looked good. I really wish it was th- we had a 3-0 week, but this 2-1 week is, uh, is better than nothing. Yeah, you, you mentioned falling in love with a three-point shot, and Portland was an absurd 19 of 51 from downtown. And, you know, after the game, Terry Stotts really just said those are the shots he wanted us to take. And I couldn't tell if he just wanted to get out of the interview as quick as possible. But this is the complete opposite answer I wanted to hear as a fan. I, I really saw the Blazer ball movement stick especially in that, in that second half, it was a lot of either one pass uh, quickly contested shots. Um, he, he is right in the sense that Chicago was dropping their big back. They were playing drop coverage. Damon CJ were coming off of those screens and they were getting fantastic looks. But I think the sign of a good team is 
not really believing your own hype. And I understand the Blazers have shooters. They, they have two of the best in the game, but you have to have some self-awareness that this isn't working. Can, can we try something else? And what we predicted on the podcast last week was Chicago has no rim protectors. We need to go and we need to eat in the paint. And it was even more apparent we need to do so when they only had nine healthy bodies. Uh, think of all of the, the fouls that we could have racked up on, on their bigs, how many trips we could have got to the free throw line. We could have really put that game away even sooner than it was. Um, it's just unfortunate that Portland let that one slip away because you already have an ugly loss on, on your resume against Utah on opening night and home court is where you're going to have to make, Hey, the, the season for the Blazers fans or, or no fans. And as I mentioned, looking at those standings, you know, if you're six and three, you're really close to first place in the Western conference. And, and that's just the result of, of blowing a game that you shouldn't. And, and I know it is a long season and there are going to be games that, you should win and don't. And there are going to be games that you shouldn't win and do that. That's just the, the nature of a 72, 82 game season. And we will see that it's just the kind of the, the ebbs and the flows of the season. And I sure hope we get one of those games. We're not supposed to win. And we end up winning them uh, soon because, you know, we definitely have uh, one in the other column uh, after that performance, but Sage, I think we saw the Blazers maybe, awaken and if you you would hope it wouldn't take a blown 20 point loss at home to the bulls to, to wake the, the guys up but you saw them come out with a little bit more fire against minnesota uh, and they definitely brought that on the road uh to sacramento uh, a game that i was honestly worried about it's just a one game trip sacramento has beaten phoenix and denver already at home but they, they looked more into it they looked more urgent that they, they shared the ball i was liking the, the shot attempts we were getting and back to a point that we were discussing on last week's episode about basically sharing is caring and basically up until last week's episode we were getting about 26 assists per game in wins and about 18 in losses well we only had 23 against chicago but we had 25 and we had 26 against Minnesota and Sacramento respectively. And it could have been higher had we not had basically the entire third string playing the fourth quarter of both Minnesota and Sacramento games. So uh, that was just a really good sign um, that if we play the right way, yes, we're always going to be a little bit of an isolation lean, especially when you have great creators in Dame CJ and, and Carmelo off the bench. But there were some passes I saw, especially in transition, just making the extra pass, um, noticing mismatches, Nurk down low, uh, Nurk making great reads from, from the high from the high key, um, really brings me to my next point is that we discussed the importance of Yusuf Nurkic on last week's episode, and I thought he really answered the bell after having a, a rough outing uh, against the Chicago Bulls. Um, you know, six of 15, 12 points. He did have six assists, but I thought he really got into his groove in that Sacramento game. They they went small. They started Marvin Bagley and, and Nurk was, I thought the X factor, you know, his numbers are going to say they were worse than what they were against Chicago, but his impact out there um, really spoke volumes. The three steals, the block, um, he made his free throws. Like those are Nurk stats that I want to see. 
you can always tell he's maybe not mentally locked in for whatever reason. You know, we're, we're all human and have other things weighing on our minds. But I look at him at the free throw line. If he's locked in like he was in the bubble, he was an 85, 86% shooter at the line in the bubble. He was down sub 50% this year. So to see him go and knock down two free throws, he's not turning the ball over as much as he was. He only had two turns. I'll take the five assist to two turnover um, ratio any day of the week when it comes to Nurk, especially with how vital he is. But Sage, what did you notice about the offense when we're able to get just Nurk, I think we even have him at like 85, 90% right now. It just, it, I think it just goes to show what the potential of this team can look like when you start to get things clicking on multiple cylinders. Going against the Timberwolves and, and, and the Kings is a great get right spot for him. I think he took advantage of his opportunities. He definitely looked more locked in. And and when you go against teams that are worse at defense, you're going to, put up stats, but I, I would agree with you that he looked more engaged and that's the type of use of Nurkic we need. I mean, he's got Ennis Cantor getting his, his minutes. He's got a hungry, hungry big man behind him and Harry Giles. He has to produce. And in those games against the Kings and the Timberwolves, he did produce and he looked really, he looked engaged. And I've noticed a lot of Blazer fans are very like, they love this dude, so they want him to be engaged. And those in those two games, he definitely looked engaged. I would like to see it what he looks like against the Toronto Raptors this week because they are a legit defense. They're going to do different things defensively to to piss him off, to to get him off his game. So this next week is going to be a very big week for Yusuf to to keep the good uh, the good vibrations going, the good uh, you know momentum going as well. So. Nurk had a good weekend. I'm really happy for it because we were so down on him. Like, you know, there was a stat that uh, Yusuf hadn't scored with Dame on the floor and CJ off. And I know that that's not the case anymore because I think he scored at least eight points with those units. So it's a, it, the, the more Nurkic goes, the more the Blazers go. A couple other points on Nurk. Another stat that I like to look at when looking at box scores after the game or even just watching him in the flow as the game's unfolding, the three-point attempts. I don't like when he's out there. Um, I, I don't think he has shown that he can hit that at a consistent clip to even really be a threat unless it's maybe late in the shot clock or nobody is is leaving him w- within like 10 feet of him. But he was 0-2 against Chicago. He didn't attempt a single one the following two games. I even noticed that he passed up on a couple of mid-range shots to go back in the paint, and he drew a foul specifically on the play that I'm uh, thinking of uh, against the Sacramento Kings in in the third quarter. Um, I I just think that when you have him as a creator and he's locked in and he's making plays for you, um, you're going to see the offense open up, and I think you're going to see the assist numbers increase. I mean, the the alley-oop to Derek Jones was so beautiful. uh, against the Sacramento Kings, DJ goes damn near to the the top of the backboard box and, and flushes it. I think we're going to see more of that, um, especially if if Nurk is making the defense honest and he's not just going to settle for that shot, allowing the defender to kind of pull back. If the defender's up on him, worried that he's going to take him to the basket, then that that leaves that space mm-hmm. available for Derek Jones to slash and, and make a play. I'm, I'm now. I remember the three-point shot attempted by Nurk in that Chicago game. I don't remember who the 
the who was on this court with him in those in those uh attempts because I, I do remember him popping out to the slot in our scheme for those shots, but you know, there, it could have been mellow in the paint. It could have been somebody else in the paint. And that in that scenario, he was kind of forced to take that shot just because of the nature of our scheme. You can't have two people in the paint at the same time. If one isn't like actively driving. So maybe he was forced, you know, like the, the, the scheme, said that this was the proper move. But yeah, I do remember him taking those shots, but it would be... Yeah, I, th- I think Nurk played within himself, man. And my question to you is, we talked about Robert Covington and DJJ, and I mentioned that I thought that Robert passed up a lot of makeable threes. How did you feel about his taking up jumpers and him being more involved in the offense. How did you feel about Robert Covington in the last three games? It's strange that you asked that because his best statistical performance is the game where I didn't love the way he played. And that was the Chicago bulls. Yes. He had a fire start to that game, but it was down the stretch. And I think he took maybe one or two like Dame or CJ drove and kicked it out to him. And there was a guy on him and he just, he just rushed it. And, and he wasn't the reason we lost that game. It was everyone started taking those shots. I think you started to see, especially in the Sacramento game, he was either stepping into threes or he was, you know, catching and shooting with ample space to to make it. I think he's going to start to find his rhythm as to, okay, this is a shot I feel comfortable in or man, Terry keeps yelling at me to shoot the ball. So next time I get it, regardless of whether I have any airspace at all, I'm, I'm, I'm launching the shot. So I think him just getting right and getting acclimated to the offense. The same thing with Derek Jones Jr. Um, I liked what I saw much more in the Minnesota and Sacramento games. I mean, but all, all three games, you have to just give credit to both of those players defensively. Like I've been making a note, even vocally, like I'll watch games and I'll kind of talk and Olga's like, wow, you're like really like describing the game. And I'm like, yeah, it just kind of helps me remember things for the podcast or things that I'm specifically looking for. But I love when I'm watching the team play and I especially dialed this in against the Kings is watching how we defended a guy like Buddy Heal. Mm-hmm. Are, are we passing him off to one another? Are we fighting over screens? Like what's our strategy? And I think I only saw one communication breakdown against the Kings when I was actively looking for it. And we did a really good job. Um, and a lot of it is from, from Robert and DJ, but our guards, Damon, CJ, they're, they're making the right reads. They're also playing the passing lanes on the back line of the defense. CJ in particular had a great steal. looked like a, you know, Brown's uh, free safety back there in, in the, the first, first half of, of that game. Just, you know, you have the active hands of DJ uh, and Rocco. I think we're going to see uh, our defense get better. Uh, you hold the Kings to under a hundred points and it really took a 30 point quarter for them to even sniff that. And that was with our third stringers in there. I mean, we played incredible defense, uh, both in the paint on the perimeter. Yes. I know the talent level wasn't there, but again, this is a Kings team that has beaten two Western conference, really elite teams, whether it's this year or, or in the past, like I mentioned, the Suns and the nuggets, and they've been a very tough out for Portland in Sacramento. 
So to go down there and to lock them down, De'Aaron Fox had no airspace. He could not get into the lane. Uh, we really flanked out on, on their shooters. We let the people shoot who should be shooting. Mm-hmm. You know, Marvin Bagley, you want to shoot a three? Fine. I know he made his first one, but we didn't panic. And that was key to me because that's kind of what our coaching philosophy has been is if we try something and the team does it once successfully, we just revert back and just say, oh, oh you know, n- never again. No, but we continuously welcomed Bagley to shoot those shots and you know it paid off we, we pushed uh b jelly away from the basket even further way outside of his comfort area uh from from three-point range like i thought we just played really smart basketball um and and i think it's just going to come with the more time they get and this is what i was talking about you know i think we've both been talking about this on previous previous episodes is we may not see the results right away, but we want to see progress. We're starting to see some of that progress. And, and yes, they are two get right teams. But I mean, this is what we've harped on since the inception of Holy Backboard. Beat the teams you're supposed to beat and look damn good doing it. Well, we did that. So there, there are no complaints for me from the, from these two games. It, it's hard to be, it's hard to critique it when, CJ Ellerby happens to be in the fourth quarter getting run. Like obviously Dame CJ Nurk, Robert Covington and DJJ helped in the first three quarters. Like they were the reason that Ellerby and little are in the game in the, in the last uh, quarter, you know? So it's hard to be like, you know, we might've beat this team by 30, but I had problems with a, B and C, you know, you take wins when you come, and and when you take blowouts happily, especially in this in this season where you know it's so condensed and you know team teams are gonna value rest very heavily in the in, in the latter part of the season. So yeah, I, I really don't have any critiques for game two and three of this uh, of the last slate. It's just you know that Chicago one. It was it it was disappointing to see like. Yeah, and I thought we did a really nice job of of getting points in the paint. Um, both Minnesota and Sacramento, um, we were relentless. Um, I mean, we, 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 when it's easy to get paint points, we're going to tr- – I mean, it, it's human nature. Oh, this is easy. But it should but have again, been against again, the Bulls, again. and it wasn't. So that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. we're, Progress. We're, we're making the right decisions. And I think we're starting to, you know – reap those rewards. I thought the Blazers did a fantastic job. I think another sign of a team being locked in is how well they shoot at the free throw line, 20 of 23 on the road against Sacramento. Um, that that's huge for a one game road trip to be that dialed in. You could tell from the start, like the starter set the tone and Sacramento really never had had much life. So that, that was, that was great to see. And the reason Sacramento didn't have much life Sage is because CJ McCollum, CJ McCollum has been playing out of his mind. Um, 37 points on 13 of 22 from the field, six of 11 from downtown, um, you know, three rebounds, three assists, two steals, uh, just five of five of the line. There's nothing you can say really more about how well he's playing. Yes, it's been nine games, but he has taken the leap. I mean, we're talking about a player – who had been probably in a similar group as, as Devin Booker and Bradley Beal, but you look at the numbers just from a holistic view 
and he's at damn near 28 points per game. That's five points higher than his previous career high back in 2017. He's shooting the three-point at the highest frequency he has, 11 attempts, and the highest percentage. He's almost at 45%. Uh, He's getting to the foul line as much as he's ever gotten in his life. Um, It still could get higher, but again, we're starting to see him take that step. Five assists per game is a career high for him right now. Mm. He's actually playing fewer minutes, which is beautiful, 34 minutes a night for CJ. And he's, you know, 47% from the field. Um, So I think his ability to take more threes, take better threes, uh, take a step back or two is, I mean, we're really seeing the results of his, his summer workouts, his really his thought process and how he was going to approach the season. Uh, All of Rip City is reaping those rewards right now. CJ's improvement. A lot of it has to go to CJ, but I think Terry Stotts for the first time really is giving Dame his time and CJ his time to be the leaders of the team. He's finally giving CJ his time to be great. So, you know, this is the first time where CJ has his, his, his time. And like that, that is a really excellent wrinkle in this season is to let to empower CJ to be as great as he can be, you know, because in previous years, those two negatively correlated so much. Like Dame and CJ rarely ever both were great. Now there's games where we can both they both can be great because they are having their times to shine. And of course, when they play together, you know, you can't really leave CJ on an island when Dame has the ball. But to, so for CJ to have, you know, our, like the highest amount of usage ever, you know, you have to give Terry his respect for the rotation. I, I mean, but CJ obviously put in the work, but, you know, Terry realized that the, those two are heavily correlated or negatively correlated for those two to both be good. So, yeah. you know, salute I mean, I to think, Terry. I think – CJ has always been empowered. I think if anybody's empowered him, I mean, Dame is, is the best superstar but teammate to have. those two play together. Like that, you know. Th- they they did, but I think two reasons we're seeing a higher production from CJ is, one, you mentioned it, the rotations. Because we don't have a backup point guard. He has to be it. Yes. I, I've been telling Olga, like, we need an adult on the floor at, at, at all times. And that's probably one to two starters. Uh, so Dame and CJ or CJ – excuse me, have to be on the floor. And when he is on the floor, he is that that lead guard. And second, I would say CJ's become more of a threat as a passer. Mm-hmm. So when he's up to five assists and he's racking up those double-doubles, defenses can no longer say when CJ has the ball, we just have to worry about him going to the basket or, or taking a jump shot. He is now making plays for others, which is why Damian Lillard is so difficult to defend because he can beat you every way. CJ starting to peel off some of those layers and becoming an even more well-rounded basketball player. I mean, that, we have a healthy Gary Trent or Mello or whoever, like it, it's a lot scarier than whoever we had last year. Like the, there's extra talent. So CJ can't, can uh, pass the ball without like worrying. Oh shit. Did I just really fuck up type of on those passes, you know? So yeah, I, I think that, it's really nice for Dame and CJ to have their times to shine in a game. And it, it makes us more dangerous. Like when those two play together, they kind of ate at each other. 
it's like in, in terms of production, not not any other way. But yeah, you would see a lot of standing around, uh, and I guess they would empower each other by saying, "Hey, it's your turn. No, no, it's my yeah, turn. No, it's no, like it's your, the, your turn. turn, my turn type of." I think we're seeing it evolve into a more natural. Okay, okay, we get the rebound. Who's the outlet? If it's Dame, Dame's going to initiate the offense. If it's CJ, CJ's going to initiate the offense. Uh, Dame's production is down uh, mm-hmm. this year slightly, and I, I don't think that should come to a surprise to, to anyone. It's nice to see he's playing about three minutes less per game, taking about a shot and a half uh, less, um, and he's, he's still putting up 26 and a half and six and a half assists. So he, he's still doing Dame things. The beauty of it is through nine games, we really haven't had to rely on him to go God mode to, to really save us. So it, it's nice to see that CJ is getting into a rhythm because you, you as a Blazer fan, we've seen this, this song and dance before from, from Dame. You know he's going to turn it on. And when he, when, when he does, hopefully you're going to have CJ already playing at, at his prime level, Nurk back at 100%, and then you've incorporated Derek and... Rocco into that starting lineup. Now you start to become the team we all thought we were going to see in in the offseason. I mean, how many players in the NBA right now, when they have a ceiling game, who has a higher ceiling than Damian Lillard in the league right now? When they're like at the hottest of hot, this is a ceiling, a 99 percentile outcome. Who who can get as hot as Dame in a given day? I don't think anybody can get hotter. I mean, you're talking about get as hot. I mean, Charles Barkley always said, I'm the hardest working player in the league. Somebody may work just as hard as me, but nobody works harder. I think that same uh, logic uh, applies here. I think there are players who can get as hot as Dame. We, we've seen Steph But that's Curry. a very short list, right? Oh, yes. It's very short. You know, Steph, Kevin, uh, James Harden, LeBron does it in multiple ways. That that That's my list. That is it. Um and so those players you know, just, do it just imagine when he too. has a ceiling game and CJ is playing as well as he is. We're not going to lose. Like the chances that we lose when Dame hits his ceiling and CJ is as hot as he's been or as involved in the game as he's been, it's going to be very hard for us to lose. And you know, there's going to be that game where he just hits the ceiling. Like he hits nine out of 10 threes in a game and ceiling game dame has arrived you know like we're talking about one of the guys like the the guy that has like you know one of the highest ceilings like eventually that shit's just gonna go out of control and and um as we talked on last week's episode about all of the milestones that were achieved cj had himself a milestone as well in sacramento uh, he has surpassed Rashid Wallace for 10th all-time in franchise history in points. He is at 9,135. I did some quick math uh, in preparing for the show. Nerd. And if if he, yeah, using a calculator on my phone, super nerdy. All he has to do is average a, a little over 20 points per game in the remaining 63 games. And he will be up to number five on the all-time list. Uh, he will per- surpass players like Michael Thompson, Jeff Petrie, Jim Paxson, uh, and legends Jerome Kersey and Cliff Robinson. The only four players ahead of him will be Terry Porter, LaMarcus, Dame, and Clyde. Uh, 
CJ and Dame could very well, by the time they are finished playing, be one and two in scoring in franchise history. That that kind of blows my mind thinking about that historically uh, down the line. You know, like it, it's amazing how much those two in their careers have just put the ball in the bucket. Like now that you're seeing CJ surpass legends in the history of the team, he's just been such a highly effective offensive player, just a smash spot every single game he's going to get you the points and now that he's handling the ball more he's going to get you the assists too which makes us so much more dangerous exactly and i think it just puts it into perspective how consistent he's been for over half a decade and i think blazer got a shot 2014 right at the no he was 2015 2015 playoffs is when he got a shot that was his second year in the league yeah well, because the first year he had the foot thing, right? Exactly. And there was, yeah, we were... Uh, so f- five years of consistent greatness from a scoring perspective? You know, I think fans take him for, for granted um, a little bit. And I know he it's always been like, oh, Dame and CJ, they can't play together. Um, whether you believe that to be true or not, I think there's something to be said about letting the GM do the GM stuff and just kind of be a fan, sit back and, and enjoy what we do have uh, in front of us. And both players are entering their primes and it, it's impressive to see they're able to, to play with one another because that's, that's been the, the, the critique and you put two strong defenders at the, the three and the four and, you know, Nurk's going to get back to that level. It doesn't seem as daunting to, to play that, that backcourt big minutes anymore as maybe what it was in prior years. Yeah, and yeah, I think having the teammates around them that can make up for the deficiencies of those two smaller guards is huge. I mean, those two are great, but those two can't win us the Western Conference Finals or get us to the Western Conference Finals. They need the other 13 players to contribute. And now that, you know, we're 11 men deep in talent or 12 men deep in talent. We, we can really see how far that those two can lead us. Absolutely. So what's your starting five for this week, my man? I know you thought of something. Well, we've already tacked off three of, of the starting fives. And then we talked about the improved play from, from Yusuf Nurkic. We talked about the assists. I think the assists are going to be the story of the season. If, if you go back and look, if we have over 25 assists, 26 assists in the game, it, it, it would probably take a very tall effort from the opposition to beat us. We're just really difficult to match up with when we're sharing the basketball. Um, CJ top 10 in franchise history and points continues his all-star basically campaign. So, so those were the main things I wanted to talk about. There was one other thing that I wanted to, to bring up. So maybe it's a, a starting four uh, this week. Sage, and this goes back just to more as basketball is how do you appreciate it? How do you enjoy watching the game? Um, I was really upset after that Chicago game. And I still believe that Terry Stotts in my mind should be on the hot seat. You, you can't lose games like that. You can't come to talk to the media and say, those were the shots we wanted. And that's the only reason we lost. Um, I think you, there needs to be more accountability there. Uh, the shots were terrible. The isolation was terrible. Um, every, the, the game just bogged down and it, it, regardless of the result, 
Sage, I have to be honest, I did not enjoy watching that game. It wasn't very enjoyable or entertaining for me from just a basketball perspective. But after that game and seeing that we launched 51 threes, which kind of blew my mind, I I went and kind of did a little quick research because I think there, especially with the micro ball rockets or the the pace and space where where they're just launching threes at at a record clip that that more threes just leads to significantly more points and and i just don't believe that to be true so i went back and looked at two of the best eras of blazer basketball history you got the early 90s and then the title team so in 1990 we put up 114 points per game we only took 6.9 attempts from downtown The following year, uh, 114.7, the threes went up to 11. In 92, when we went to the finals against Chicago, 111, and the threes went up slightly to 11.5. In the championship season, 111.7 points per game. There was no three-point line. So then you go back to the, the last three years in Blazer basketball history. 2019 season, of course, we made the Western Conference Finals. 114.7 points per game, 30.7 threes attempted. Last season, 115 points per game, up to 34.1 threes per game. This year, and I think we're helped out with that, that those two blowouts of Minnesota and Sacramento where we put up 137 and 125, but regardless, I'm stating just facts. We are at 117.9 points per game and taking a staggering 42.3 three-pointers per game. Um, I'm not saying you need to go back to where you're only attempting 7, 11 threes. I mean, we would be at a supreme disadvantage if we did that, right? Yeah, but I don't think you need to be taking 42. Like, I think there... There's somebody out there who is better at math than I am. They can probably chart the optimal amount of threes to take based upon percentages being shot and what, you know, your optimal, you know, output, you know, points per game will be. I I can tell you it's not so many factors for that though. It's not 42.3, but I'm, I'm still like, and I'm not saying we need to go back to how, you know, we had a great team in 2000. I specifically left that out because we did not play very good basketball offensively in 2000. I mean, that was, that was late nineties. Basketball is not equivalent to eighties and early nineties. Like that was more like, I'm going to hack the shit out of you. We're going to back down and we're going to take a turnaround jump shot. Um, That, I mean, those games were much more in the seventies, eighties, even, you know, you're lucky to get to a hundred for that. Um, You know, when, you know, clearly I watch a lot of early nineties basketball. um, I mean, that's, that's where you became, that's where your, you know, happy places is the nineties era. But I'm talking about, I legitimately about do believe like, I, yes, I will say I have a bias towards that, but yeah, I, I legitimately do think it was a, a fun brand of basketball that I think the Blazers, when they, when they even upped their three point output from seven to 11, from 90 to 91, you know, they, they were a, a better offensive team. They had shooters, and, and that we clearly have but shooters. I'm not three. saying the Blazers should just automatically know, oh, no, take a couple steps in and take a contested two. No, but I think what we saw against Minnesota and Sacramento was, if you're going to take a three, let, let's let it come off of some ball movement. Like, it, it's just, I feel like the, the percentages are so much higher. Your your dribble, you, the dribble penetration can get into the defense. I mean, you're going to get a wide open three. A wide open three is a fantastic shot. 
Do not get me wrong. There are no complaints there. What you'll see me complaining about is somebody dancing out on the perimeter four or five seconds consistently and you're throwing up a contested three, like rushed threes. Like that's not basketball. I think you're just saying, oh, we get more points shooting from back here than we do if you know, we work the ball around and you know, get to the foul line or get, get a layup or even, even a midi, a wide open mid-range shot. Um, and so it's kind of all ties into what I've liked seeing these last two games with Nurk initiating offense, you know, making the extra pass in transition, getting defensive stops, getting on the break. Uh, that's where the, the early 90s Blazers made their, their living was they were the best fast-breaking team in the league. They got those, and the same thing with the 77 Blazers. They were incredible rebounding outlet. They were gone. They were the fastest team in that league. Uh, you, we all can look back and see the, the impact those fast guards had in sweeping the Lakers uh, in that Western Conference Finals in 77. Uh, you, you play to your strengths, but there's just other ways to score than just going 19 of 51 against a team that has no interior presence. Like that, that game was a big tipping point for me um, against Chicago as a fan. And so I'm glad that they rectified that uh, a bit because you're, you're just not going to win if you're shooting jump shots. The Warriors were a jump shooting team, but as we discussed when when Steph torched us for 62, they do that shit off of movement. Like Clay Thompson scored 60 points and dribbled 11 times. Like they, they are doing it the right way from the outside. That there's not a lot of isolation there for, from Golden State. Um, so if Portland can kind of tap into that and, and share the ball, and if they want to shoot 53s, but Let's just get them off some movement. That, that, that's all I'm saying. Like, make sure everyone's involved because um, five is always better than one. Hmm. You know, I think there's always going to be factors in, you know, like I, I don't think you can find the optimal amount of shots per game because every game there's like a bajillion variables that you have to look out for. How are they playing pick and roll coverage? How are they defending? You know, who's hot in the given day? There's just so many factors. You know, it, it's about finding shots that the Blazers are content with taking. You have uh, all the right in the world to feel like those 90s era teams were you liked them more. You liked watching them play more. That's how you became a fan. It, it's all about the circumstances around that individual shot. If it's off movement, if it's open, I feel great about it. When they're launching just to launch it, that isn't that enjoyable of an experience. But I, I don't have any problem with spreading a team out, dribble penetration and getting that layup or kicking it out to a teammate. I, I think a, um, a thing that I have noticed in being on Twitter is people talk about isolation and it's kind of have this negative connotation to it. So in your definition of the word isolation, is it they dribble, do a move and shoot? Or is isolation like them dribble driving to the hoop? Does that count as isolation in your mind when you, when you think of you know, the amount of times we ISO in a game? What is the definition of ISO in your mind? I mean, isolation is any time you're really taking somebody one-on-one, whether you're in the triple threat position, you're going to dribble, you're going to pass, you're going to shoot. I don't have a problem 
if clearly the the clock's winding down or if they have a weak defender on one of our best best if ball dame's handlers, on like some non-defender if dame's on like yeah and they're gonna not help out you, you want dame to iso and then make the defense defense react i think when i'm talking isolation the things that I look out for that I think are inefficient are what we used to do with LaMarcus Aldridge a lot. He would kind of pound the ball, ball back stop. to the basket, ball, ball stopping. Ball stopping is isolation to me. And I think even CJ had a bad habit of doing that last few years where he would just kind of start getting into his package. And yeah, he might hit like a spectacular shot, but that's not sustainable. Uh, and I, I look at this when I watch Carmelo and I'm like, if he has the ball less than two seconds, it's a good possession because that means he's making a quick decision. That means he's identified that he's either open on the catch and shoot or that he can post up this man and just, he goes into his move when he starts to size him up and jab step. I, I kind of lose a lot of interest. And it's just like, you're hoping and praying it goes in because nobody's crashing glass. You have no movement. Nobody's interested. And I think a great way to see team intensity kind of collectively go up is you get everybody on the floor involved. And I think that starts with your starting unit. You maybe run a back cut for DJ to get a lob or you run a a pick and pop for, for Rocco. Um, They're already going to bring it on the offensive end, but if they know that you're actually looking for them, they're going to play even harder. Like I have no idea how the Rockets were even as successful as they were with that offense with James Harden, because I would have tuned out if I was his team. I'm like, I'm, I feel like basically, you know, a right fielder when, when no balls are getting hit to me. <laughs> Nobody's passing the ball. I'm just standing here. I might get it. I might not. Um, that's really hard to stay engaged. I mean, just think about when you're playing playground basketball. It's hard to stay engaged when nobody passes you the basketball, nobody runs a play for you, um, and you're expected to go down there and, and bust your ass for the team on the defensive end of the ball. No. Like, you have to get everyone involved. And, and again, that's just why in trailblazer history, our best teams – were ones that were made up of a collective unit. Like we've never really had a dynamic duo or a big three. We've always been a team and and that's how we kind of win. And that's how we kind of roll. So um, maybe that's just in my, my system as a Blazer fan. And that's how I want to see the game played, but um, that's my definition of isolation. And that's what I, I think can, can kind of remove from it. And you can get better team play just by getting making sure everyone's involved. I, I think that dribble drive is incredibly important for 2020 offense. I think that you breaking down the defense and forcing the defense to react to you is a, an incredibly effective tool that you know great great creators use, like a LeBron James, a Luka Doncic, a James Harden, Dame. I think that those type of plays are highly important. I watched New Orleans Pelicans and the highest drives per game is six. You know how difficult it is to create an offense when your best player, Brandon Ingram, against the Charlotte Hornets in the last game, drives six times to the hoop? That's incredibly difficult to establish any offense when there's no interior penetration from any dribble drives. I'd be in favor of them driving to the paint more making a move it's just you got to make that defense react to you, and if they don't respect the drive, our offense is going to be—it's going to be a standstill, bullshit, awful offense. I thought Dame did a really good job in the Sacramento game, 
from not settling for the three. He really, once he yeah, saw he, a couple he of had, their bigs he, get in there, he got them on their hip and he went right to the basket, mm-hmm. got to the foul line. And you mentioned the Pelicans only getting six. I, I think like anything in life, that diversity is better. And just like an offense, you can't be predictable. If you can beat a team, couple isolation sets, pick and roll, dribble drive, um, high, low, whatever you want to do, they are not going to be able to plan for you, especially if you can get rebounds and get into transition. They can't get set. You're going to make life so much easier for yourself if you can keep the defense honest and off balance. Mm. Yeah, and I I think – I don't even remember the game anymore because there's been so many, but there was a game where he was just quick first stepping everybody and taking it to the rim. Like that's the type of shit that gets me excited is when Dame quick first steps past the, that, that big and has an open lane to the hoop where he finishes one of those layups where it like head up perfect layup type of thing that Beckner get has them do every time they meet like that is the type of shit that I think, the the Blazers need to utilize more because when you get Dame going downhill, that that makes at least three or four players take notice. Like if you look at Dame drives and look at the heads of every opponent, they're all looking at him. So when you can first step them and get past and blow by t- for a layup, whoo, that makes everybody react to you so much. If we can get that more that's where we get dangerous. And I know that, you know, there's, there's times where they high hedge and make it difficult for him to get around that, that screen. But man, if he, if he can get free around the rim with no one in that rim to, to, to help on that, that layup, it's just so, so dangerous. All right, Sage, we have a couple of fan questions. Let's get to those. The first is from uh, the legend uh, team mom at TC D bigs. Wants to know, do you think the Blazer defense is getting better? And if so, in what ways? You know, we played two of the worst teams in the league and our defenses looked good. There's things that I think are, you know, that you can do again and again and be effective. So, yeah, I think that we have improved, but I want to see it against a higher threshold of team, like a higher tier of team. We played two F tier teams and one and our defense looked great. Let's see what it looks like in this upcoming week. I think we have improved, but it's about how much have we approved. I don't know going against those two teams. I will say it's improved and it doesn't matter that we went against bad teams because I think the Blazers are a good enough team where most nights, the only team that can beat them is themselves. And that could have happened on, on this three game stand. And it did. They beat themselves against the Chicago Bulls. No bull really had a career night. We we let them into that game. We let our foot off the pedal, allowed 66 points in the in the third and fourth quarters combined. To me, that, that shows the focus wasn't there. You weren't locked in. You come back and you really lock in against Minnesota and against Sacramento. That's where I'm seeing the improvement is you can just tell the intensity has picked up especially in the communication. Like last year, why did teams get so many open looks against us? Because communication broke down. Players didn't know that they were supposed to switch or, you know, fight over screens. This year, there's much more talking. Uh, I think they're becoming more confident. I think they're starting to understand, okay, if, if DJ, if his man gets by him, I don't need to come over and help and possibly foul. 
he's athletic enough to maybe make that block. Um, Robert Covington is so smart in his reads, whether he's, you know, guarding a player in the post and maybe coming around and taking that, that steal from, from the backside. Um, What I've noticed has been the active hands and it's, I think it's, contagious in the good way, not like the, the coronavirus way. It's, it's contagious in the sense that they have really set the tone for, this is how we play defense. This is how we've had success. And now you're starting to see other players on the team, pick it up, get active, um, get their hands in the passing lanes. I mean, you know, you're going to get great defense from, from guys like Gary Trent off the bench. Um, but just that's where I've seen the biggest notice is just in the intensity uh, of, of play. You can, you can just, the energy level is there. Like defense, defense should always travel. Defense doesn't have to make a bat ball go in the bucket. Defense is all about stopping the other team from putting the ball in the bucket. And really it doesn't matter if you're playing home or away, it should always travel. And the only thing that can prevent that is your focus. And I saw great focus this week. So that that's the improvement I would say I do want to see us do it consistently because yes, it was a small sample size a and B it was against two teams that we should have done that too, but we'll really get to see how we do that against Sacramento the second time. It clearly didn't work out the second time against the warriors. And then we got a couple of Eastern conference teams that they can put some points on the board. So um, it's, and they're going to do it in different ways. So it's going to be interesting to see how we handle this week. Um, Probably a question we should look back at a week from now, but given what I saw last week, uh, I liked the effort and energy and intensity. So I will take that 10 times out of 10. We have a really interesting question. Thought provoking. Um, I'm sorry if I mispronounce this, but it's a Twitter user at Oludlo, O-L-U-D-L-O-W, a three-parter. So, you know how some video games have different lineups you can fast select. I'd like your ideal defensive lineup, scoring lineup, and garbage time lineup. Who gets some run and who gets run? Uh, let's start with the defensive lineup. What is your ideal defensive lineup? And you can't say it. it's based on the team. This is the Blazers putting out their best defensive lineup. Who would you go with and why? I, I actually remember commenting about how good of a question this was. When I think about our best defensive unit, first it has to go with Damian Lillard because we need somebody to help play off. Dame Gary Trent Jr., DJJ, Robert, and then uh, Yusuf Nurkic. So we can we can switch one through four relatively easy. We have Dame who can handle the ball offensively and Nurk to clean up all messes that goes towards the rim. So what, what would your uh, defensive team be? You took mine. Okay. I mean, yeah, you, you need Dame to, to score. Yeah. I, I think um, defense leads to offense, so you can't just put you out You can't a bunch just of, put out five defenders without any, like, creator. You can't just put, like, five Lou Dorts out there. So, yeah, you, Dame, I think Trent, you already have – when I think you already have one. Your starting five is almost your best defensive lineup, and I think that that's an area the Blazers wanted to address, so – it's clearly a reason why we went out and got DJ and Rocco. Those two have to be out there. Um, I guess the caveat I would say is like, if, if you're not getting like a great Nurkic night, then, then maybe you look at going crazy and Harry Giles, 
Harry Giles or putting Rocco at the five okay. and yeah. get, getting a little wild. I honestly, and this may be a year too premature. I think Nasir Little would be uh, my wild card to Ooh, play. Who does he start out? Like, if it's a bad Nurk if, game, he plays if four? It's, if it's bad Nurk, I would do Rocco, DJJ, Nasir, Gary, and, and and Dame. Like It's it's completely switchable. Like, you switch I just everything. Love, I think the first thing I look at when I look at good defenders is the effort and energy. Like, that's just what makes a great defender. What makes a great defender elite is clearly – instincts intelligence scouting you know exactly where your team is it's like a great defensive driver you're not only worried about your assignment but you can know where everyone else is going to be and and how to defend that so um those would be mine but moving to the scoring lineup who do you have on the on the floor dame cj part of me thinks that mellow would be part of the best offensive lineup but I feel like we defer too much to Mello in certain scenarios. So for me, it would be Dame, CJ, Gary Trent, Robert Covington, and then Nurk. Mello, because of who he ha- who he is and who he ha- will be, you know, like we respect him so much that we pass it to him. So if we want the best Terry Stotts ball, I think that knowing each other's roles is important. I know that Gary is going to, be ready to shoot. I know Robert's going to be ready to shoot. I know Nurk's going to do pick and rolls. And yeah, I think that as a, in terms of like their offensive role, it's the best. I think if we just want pure scoring and we don't care by who Mel has to be involved, but I, I feel that the, the players knowing their roles is important. So yeah, I, I think it's Dame, CJ, Gary, Robert, and Nurk. So I'm going to go back to the bubble. For, for my answer. Clearly you have to have Damon CJ. I mean, God, we just talked about them possibly ending up as one and two in the record books all time in scoring best backcourt in the league. They, they are automatically on that list. I put Gary Trent to three because you look at his bubble outbreak that mm-hmm. he had when he was getting all of those open looks. Uh, it was marvelous. I go mellow at the four because I'm, I'm thinking, Catch and shoot, mellow space and pace. Basically, mellow replacing Robert Covington in this role. You don't you don't run your offense through mellow. Like this is all in an in an ideal world. Yeah, yeah. That, mellow, that would probably be my best if like role if it was NBA two K. That's yeah. that's the and best. And so we saw mellow in the bubble play the four, play the catch and shoot role, and we put up historic numbers stretching out the defense with, with Dame just cooking players. And then at the five, I would go Nurk, not just because I think I actually think Ennis is a better offensive player, but you need some defense too. You do need defense, but if we're talking specifically offense, you want an additional weapon to distribute the ball, Mm -hmm. and and Nurkic gives you that. GT and Mello play really well off of each other in in the bubble, so that would be my um, scoring offense. And then who is your what's your garbage lineup? The garbage that's that's. Poor phrasing on my choice. What is your, it's a blowout and we're going to send out the young players. What's your, uh, let's, let's run up the score lineup. So the, the, there's a definite four. There's a definite four in uh, Anthony, CJ, um, Nas, and then Harry Giles. So depending on who the, the matchup is, uh, it'd be NS or Gary. 
So if it's a big, if it's the traditional team, it's Ennis. And if it's like one of those uh, small ball teams, Gary probably runs and gets extra shot attempts. What about you? My my youth movement lineup, I would go Ant. I would go Gary. They're still from the same draft class. Mm-hmm. Like they're still young. I, w- I want to see them together. Um, Nasir, for sure. Harry Giles. And if this isn't an ideal world and he's healthy, is that Collins? Oh, shit. I didn't even. Well, that's tricky. You know, just because CJ Ellery is a second rounder, it's like, fuck, he, he's healthy. And that's incredibly important for us. You know, we've dealt with some nagging injuries and some long term injury shit. Let's throw the young guy in and get him some. Actually, I, royal I take jelly. back my I take back my my Zach Collins because that was a little bit tricky. I would go Ant, Gary Trent, Derek Jones, because I want to see lobs in in just fourth for quarter time. Oh, for funsies, Harry Giles and Nasir Little. Like I want to see just the, the ultimate bounce team. Like go up, throw it up, go get it. Let's do and one mixtape. Uh, tour on the opposition team and uh, just make a YouTube highlight out of everything. So that that's my um, so fun I, lineup. I actually have a question. Since we've been injured so much with our wings, our backup wings, what is our second unit? Who are the four surrounding the lead guard? Yeah, so you got Dame, CJ. So we, we essentially have, have a nine-man rotation with Dame and CJ being the de facto point guard at all times uh you clearly i think have to play gary trent i think rodney hood will pay dividends down the line you need to get him his minutes um need to make sure you don't overexert him or if he, ha- he had a rough shooting night in sacramento and i thought terry did a nice job of taking him out like you don't want him to get too down on himself uh but you need to see him play and love it or not rick city it's gonna be carmelo and ennis Cantor. those are that's just the best options that we have. And one thing I forgot to mention last episode is, and this kind of can fall on the coaching staff as well, but if we as a collective fan base are complaining or can notice that the seventh and eighth rotation players playing together is causing us such negative results and being a detriment to the team, that shouldn't happen. That, you know, we shouldn't be talking about backup bigs being this detrimental to the team. Like, so we got to figure this shit out um, because Melo's playing, whether we like it or not, you know, I, I'm not saying I, I don't like it, but you know, there's definitely pro pro Melo and probably not so pro Melo and Ennis has the same fans out there, but. Ennis is going to play regardless. Doc. They, yeah. They, they produce that. What He's going to get his rotate. But the, the, those are my nine, and I don't think that's – I would like to see Nasir start to maybe get more of those 10th man over Anfernee. And I know we've said Anfernee looked a little bit more confident, but I think Nasir has a higher potential. Like right now what I ceiling? see – Yeah, higher potential, higher ceiling. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what I see right now from Ant is – he's making one read and that's all he's going. It's usually off of a screen, one dribble, pull up three. And I don't know if that's getting us to the next level. Uh, I, I I'm really interested and intrigued at Nasir little. He made an NBA caliber move against the Timberwolves to get his, his first points of the season. It reminds me a lot of when I watched Travis outlaw kind of blossom over the course of his tenure. You know, everyone remembers we took Travis outlaw 
in, in the 2003 draft right out of high school. He was raw. He, he was lanky. He needed to put on some weight and he, he was an athlete and he, he just needed to really learn the game and become an NBA basketball player. But you could kind of see as he started to mature and grow, make NBA moves. And you kind of put that in, in the back of your mind, like, okay, he's capable of doing that. You know, Outlaw went out to be one of the best six men in the NBA. You know, I've seen Nasir start to make some of those NBA moves. He's just got to really get some good luck going. You know, it seems like something has always come and been a hurdle for him really outside of his control. So I'd love to see Nasir have an injury uh, free season, stay healthy and, start to pick up maybe some of those 10th rotation minutes. Maybe if it's a back-to-back and Hoodie can't go, still continue to play Damon CJ at the backup one, but get Nas some minutes because, I mean, the, he's a McDonald's All-American, five-star recruit, was projected to be a lottery pick. I really believe in Nasir. Had Gary not broken out in the bubble, I would have said Nasir is probably the young player that I have the most hope for, and I still have a ton of hope for him. Um, I just think he he's going to be good. I hope it's on our team, but I, I want to see him get a little bit more run. I mean, we're seeing these rookies, Sage, and I know he's a second-year player, but we're seeing these rookies kind of get thrust into situations, whether it's Tyrese Maxey the other night getting 39 minutes because they only had seven healthy bodies, or Peyton Pritchard hitting game winners and putting up double-doubles in Boston because Kemba and Jeff Teague are out. These rookies and second-year players, they can play. And the only way they get better is through minutes. And and fortunately, you know, knock on wood, Portland's been healthy. And so we don't need Nas to play those minutes. But if an opportunity does arrive, and I know I'm taking the long-winded approach of this, I I would like to see him kind of elevate over Anthony in in that that depth structure. Because I think defensively, he's he's it. And I think offensively, if he gets a shot down, that was was the knock on him. Like, he's going to be your prototypical 3 and D. And we all love Rocco, but he's 30. And hopefully in four years, Nas is ready. I mean, that's what great teams do. If the Spurs do, you got to get that farm system. You got to always have next man up. And so hopefully you can kind of groom him to be where these players are at in three to four years. All right. I'm going to ask you a few questions. How tall is Nasir Little? Be like six, eight, six, nine. Okay. What is the most valuable commodity besides a star player? And then besides a star player, besides a star player, two way wings. Okay. Who has a better chance of being a two way wing? Nasir Little or uh, Anthony Simons? Nasir Little. So, if we given the chance for 10th man minutes, who would be more valuable to see who, what we got in that player? It's Nasir. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, wings are so valuable commodities. We have a lot of them. And that's a good thing. So, even if Nas doesn't blossom here. We're going to get more value via a trade than Anthony because guess what? Right now, point guards, it is the most talented it's ever been, right? You can you can go to the Europe and get a good backup point guard relatively easy. Mike James is out there, Shane Larkin's out there. There's a lot of backup point guards that we can have to fill a role. Six, eight small forwards don't grow on wings, uh, on trees. <laughs> they grow on wings, whatever. Um, but yeah, so if you if you really think about it, Nasir has more value than Anthony, even though 
backup point guard is a bigger need. It's it's about wings. If you have some wings that ha- can do other things than just defend and shoot threes that are all right percentage, they're extraordinarily valuable. You know why we're scared Gary Trent Jr. can leave us? He shoots at a good percentage, plays good point of attack defense, and has shown some uh, playmaking upside. That's why we're scared to get. Yeah, wings are way more valuable than a backup point guard in today's NBA. So, yes, I agree with you. The only way I could really see uh, Harry Giles get minutes is, so Nurk plays his six, Ennis plays uh, his six, and then in the second in the second quarter he'll play another six, and then Nurk comes in. And that's kind of how the rotation is. Uh, Harry Giles getting any minutes is if in the second, in his third stint, Ennis kind of isn't having it, then I think Harry would play uh, Ennis's the, the last stint that uh, Ennis you know, normally play would go to Harry Giles. So it's, yeah, it's I mean, going to be tough for those end of the bench guys to get real run, but I'm starting to see that there might be a possibility. And man, I think I think Harry Giles might get his run on, against Toronto, but we haven't gotten might, to that point yet. Harry might be getting. He might have to wait in the wings for a year or two. Ennis is a free agent. I know Harry is as well. But when you're direct, the person directly above you is averaging a double-double off the bench. In limited minutes, bro. In limited minutes, plays his role well. It's going to be hard to to kind of of supplant him um, in in the rotation. Where I think Harry should get his time is we're playing a team, and maybe it happens once or twice. The the team attacks Cantor in the pick-and-roll, and – we need somebody that's going to be a little more switchable. Someone you can blitz the, the the ball handler. You need to make the move to Harry Giles. And and I think Terry needs to be more adaptable this year at that, not worry about hurting anybody's feelings and just be like, this is a strength of Harry's. This isn't a strength of yours. You play because of your strengths. They happen to be doing X. Like we, we have Harry for a reason. So I, I would like to see him get more run when the time presents itself, but I, I'm not going to sit here and, say that I've been a huge champion of, of big time Harry Giles minutes. Like I've seen on the timeline, I do like Harry Giles, but he's, he's a ways away. Like there's a reason we got him for the minimum. He's going to show flashes of brilliance, but in a backup player, you need consistency. And that's hundred percent what you get from Menace Cantor. Absolutely. All right, Sage, before we preview this week's slate of games, uh, there's another local business I wanted to give, uh, a shout out to it is a, an Etsy shop and they're also on Instagram. It is classic court tiles. Uh, we will have the links for you in the description. You can also search them. Um, it's a, it's a local guy out in happy Valley and he makes coasters, but he also hand paints the actual courts that that teams play on. And he takes early nineties cards and can kind of make uh, sets out of them. I've got, I had to order an eight card set of the Memorial Coliseum floor and I got eight 1990 Blazers Skybox different players. Um, I got my parents, um, a Clyde Drexler, Terry Porter duo, um, 90 Fleer, like really reasonable pricing, super nice guy, um, really unique gifts. Like my parents were super stoked to get this. I also went and picked them up a bag of uh, Deadstock coffee, um, local favorite local coffee shop. For Christmas, you know, we, we sent gifts this year, so we wanted to, to shop local. Um, really cool. 
I haven't had the nerve to actually use the coasters yet because they're so dope, but um, great for any fan collection does custom orders too. So check them out. Classic court tiles. We'll have the links in the show descriptions. Very busy week in Rip City. The Blazers have four games coming up Monday. They have the Toronto Raptors at seven o'clock. Wednesday, they go back down to Sacramento to face the Kings. Um, Again, these are all 7 o'clock starts. Finally, a back-to-back. The Blazers had been playing every other day. They come back Thursday to play the Indiana Pacers. They wrap up this week's slate of games against the Atlanta Hawks on Saturday. Sage, let's kick it off against the the struggling Toronto Raptors who played tonight. Uh, They blew it. They had a big comeback against the Warriors, fouled a shooter late lost on the road to Golden State. And Sage, this is a team kind of playing without a home. They are playing their home games, in air quotes, in Tampa, Florida, having travel. I mean, this is like worse than the bubble for them. And honestly, I think it's having an incredible impact on their performance this year. You know, I think the Toronto Raptors happen to be the one, happen to be one of the teams that I have watched the absolute most. I have uh, changed the way that I do daily fantasy. So it used to be I do 150 lines and it's kind of like a lottery. You know, I'll win four times in the year and that makes up all of my money for the year. Now I play a more reasonable game. So playing a more reasonable value filled game is in cash and you play, you know, the best possible plays and your goal is to get top 50. Toronto has, you know, three guys, well, four guys normally, and uh, Pascal, Norman Powell, uh, Fred Van Elite, and uh, Kyle Lowry that all have high values in, you know, fantasy sports. So I've watched them quite a bit. And I really think that their re- – what is the record right now? The Toronto Raptors are currently 13th in the Eastern Conference. They are 2-7 and seven and just 1-5 and five away from their Tampa home. So I, I think that they played New Orleans twice, and I think they should have won both. They got extraordinarily unlucky from shooting uh, where they had open shots and it just missed both games. And then in uh, uh, another game that I watched, it was just supremely unlucky bounces that, you know, in a, in a normal 72-game season will uh, go their way just as much as it's gone against them. So I think they have been a victim of some really bad luck and timing and, you know, going cold at the absolute worst time. Yes, they're doing, they're struggling, but I don't think it's a lack of skill. I don't think it's a lack of, lack of coaching. I think it's luck. Like when you get an open shot and it just rims out, sometimes you have to just take the L. I think that they have been unlucky this year. So yeah, the record's bad, but the team isn't bad. So we we you know who you have to look out for: Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Fleet, Norman Powell, and then Spicy P. And an interesting thing that I've seen them do in their lineup construction is, if it's a small if you know if it's a small ball team, Spicy P is the five, and that's Pascal Siakam. But when they play like a normal team, Alex Len runs five. So against the Blazers. I definitely would think that they run Fred Van Fleet, Kyle Lowry, Norman, Pascal, and then a big. And I think that 
they like to they love to match up with their bigs. And Chris Boucher has been incredibly valuable. Valuable. So I think he just had know. some like six blocks or something yeah. tonight. Yeah, he's bro, when he gets to play, he shines. And it, they don't want to put him against a team like a, that has Ennis Cantor because he's going to give up points and bunches down there on, on defense just because he is a skinnier player. So I would imagine that they start out, you know, their big their big starting lineup, and then maybe Aaron Baines, who's been coach decision, not uh, no no minutes coach's decision, might actually play and body up against Ennis because I think they realize Chris Boucher's value right now and don't want to play him against a bigger bigger man like Ennis. So, you know. If that that's kind of a good thing because I don't want Chris Boucher on the floor against us. I, I think that this is going to be a very uh, difficult game. It's going to be a close game. I think they're going to box in one dame or whoever the lead ball handler is at the time. They're going to make his life really difficult on our, on our guards and they're going to have to do some magical shit to get us this win. So I, I you know, the Raptors are losing right now, but they, they, they ain't a bad team right now. It's just circumstance and luck. So they are on the final game of a four-game Western Conference road trip. They're also giving up about 111, 112 points per game, which is not very Toronto-like. I think this team is ripe for Portland. And what I mean by that is Portland needs to sense the blood in the water and they need to attack. I think you attack Toronto in the paint. Points in the paint are going to be my X factor when we're looking at, at a statistical category. Uh, we have in our, in our losses, we, we've given up a, a ton of points uh, in, in down low. And we, and when we don't win, we just jack up a bunch of threes. Like we need to sense a team is tired. They have tired legs, make them defend us. And if they do go small with, with Siakam, attack the basket. Um, this is a team that is very good at defending the perimeter. I think if you can get them into foul trouble, almost extend the game, make the Toronto Raptors play the longest game of basketball that they can. I really will like our chances if we're able to do that. If we're looking at an, at an X factor, um, you mentioned the box and one, they will definitely try and do something like that with Dame. I think two players can make up for that. I think one CJ McCollum, this will be the the real game that not the real game, but this will be something I'm really looking forward to see is CJ has been the hot blazer. How will Toronto defend him if they're going to pay so much attention to Dame? So if they pay a lot of attention to Dame, I think CJ is going to go off. If they kind of have to respect CJ, then I think Dame might have, you know, 30 and 10. And then you're going to get CJ with 30 and maybe five. So look for how they defend our guards. Depending on that, that's going to be my X factor. Both of them need to produce based upon how the defense is, is kind of keying in on them. I have us winning this one. Um, I would hope we would continue the momentum, kind of kick Toronto while they're down. Uh, they are one and five on the road. We need to protect home court. What's your X factor stage and what's your prediction? Um, hmm. I think it's defending the three-point shot. Toronto's very aggressive in trying to get theirs. Um, I, I think our bigs have to be big and dominate a uh, potentially small uh, Toronto front court. And we know Alex, Alex Len is a foul monster. He He's kind of like an Ennis Cantor type of center where he produces a lot in short bursts. 
but he's much more aggressive trying to get fouls. So I would go after Toronto bigs and try and get those fouls. Um, this is a tough one. Who's ahead in our uh, head-to-heads? Uh, you are. By how much? Two games. Oh, shit. I think the Toronto Raptors win this game. That would be a very, very tough result to live with, especially after two good performances. But I digress. Next on the docket would be the Sacramento Kings. Once again, we just saw this team play. Uh, clearly, I think Portland benefited from not having to play them in back-to-back outings. We saw what happened against the Golden State Warriors. Portland beat them by about 25 points. They came out more aggressive, more assertive. Uh, the Kings, I mean, with, with so much happening in the world, you kind of forget things happen on, you know, 24, 48 hours later. The Kings have to play the Pacers um, on Monday. So then Didn't they Portland just do can, that? I believe basketball they, reference they, doesn't update day of. So, no, no. No, it's Sunday. Yeah, so so the, they have to play the Pacers on Monday. We get the Kings on Wednesday. So both teams kind of get another team to play before you kind of go back into that 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 rematch. I think that really helps Portland. For me, the X factor uh, there's there's two: the communication on defense to ensure that guys like Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes don't get open looks from three. I think if those either of those players, especially Heald, gets hot, that can kind of carry that team. And I also want to see us continue to kind of build that wall around De'Aaron Fox. We did an incredible job of forcing him to shoot from the perimeter and not letting him uh, drive and attack the interior of our defense. Um, my X factor is going to be the Blazer bench. Um, we saw how good the starters did. Can the bench kind of provide that as well? Like all of our starters were, I think, plus 20 or plus 25. Can can we continue to to keep that up and, and have another solid performance? Because I don't think we can necessarily rely on our starters to be plus 25 on, on a given night. So I would love to see the bench come out and, and have a good performance, specifically Gary Trent Jr. I mean, we saw him have that just a breakthrough against the Lakers, the career high 28. Can we get GT unleashed a little bit more on offense? I want to see some looks from him. So um, I got the Blazers winning that one. Uh, what say you, Sage? I, th- I think my brain thought thought Sacramento played uh, Indy. Indy played Phoenix, and the purple jerseys got me in my memory. But um, so we are playing the Kings. I think they're dealing with a lot of strife. You did you see my Bagley's father on Twitter say, "Please trade my son." And then De'Aaron's dad saying, do it. I think we addressed (laughs) that even last week when we were talking about that as well. And so, you know, they're dealing with a lot of shit. I mean, Buddy Heald hasn't had a good game all year. Um, What was interesting about that that Kings game, too, is they averaged like 49 and a half threes attempted in the preseason contest. They only put up 30, I believe. So that was a really big contrast. I think um, Alvin Gentry tried to get his offense going. Alvin Gentry's the coach of the Kings now. And you know Alvin's about getting threes and you know having a fast paced offense. And I what, think that would look, look what happened well. to Luke Walton. Alvin Gentry's the offensive guy. Okay. Well you said the coach of the Kings now. So well Luke Walton's not gonna be the coach forever. I think Alvin's gonna replace him once you know the team gets tired of Luke Walton's shit. So I, I think that Alvin Gentry trying to get the offense rolling in the, in the preseason. And now, you know, Luke's 
opinions on the game you know sway some of the stuff alvin wants to do i think that you stop buddy healed who's been struggling for most of the year if you played any fantasy sport basketball you know that um i i think that building that wall for De'Aaron, making him have to finish around over or around Nurkic and DJJ and Robert is a good move. Know your personnel, you know, don't let Buddy shoot, but you know, if they're running Marvin Bagley out there and he's trying to shoot threes, let him, you know, it's one of those games. I expect us to win this one pretty handedly in against the Kings. So, um, you know, we, we played them a few days ago. Uh, Get your teammates involved attack the rim, get these guys into foul trouble. Up next is a back-to-back against the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers currently, you know, having a really strong season, Mm -hmm. six and three right now. Uh, They do have a significant injury they've been dealing with. uh, Bubble Warren, uh, TJ Warren is still out indefinitely, but they do have legit NBA talent. Uh, Aaron Holiday, Victor Oladipo, Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, they've got guys that can beat you. Absolutely, they do. I'm just trying to pull up the starting lineup for the Pacers in the last. So their starting five is uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Aaron Holiday, Vic, Victor Oladipo, DeMontis, and Miles Turner. A real issue for me with the Pacers in the last few years is the relationship between. Demonis and Miles Turner because they're both two bigs, and I think they finally figured out how those two can co- coexist on the basketball court. So, and I think that's a big part of why they've done so well. Um, their bigs really scare me this this game because Demonis is now the backup center, so they start Miles and and Demonis, and once Miles goes to the bench, uh, Demonis moves up a position and is closer to the basket. I, I think this is one of those know your personnel type of games. If Aaron Holiday or Justin Holiday are trying to shoot, you let them shoot because I'm not trying to let uh, Victor Oladipo get any type of uh, momentum or Domanus. Like Domanus is just so consistent with his production. He's 2010 every day, essentially. So you don't want him to have a ceiling game against you. Our bigs are going to have a very difficult time especially Ennis. I think this is, might be one of the games Harry Giles gets run early. Or you're not trying to put Ennis against Demonis or uh, Miles Turner in any real uh, amount of time just because Miles is a three-point shooter. He's going to be on the perimeter. You don't want Ennis anywhere out there, and Demonis is going to see uh, Ennis as barbecue chicken, and it's just going to be some easy buckets. So if you're a Harry Giles fan, I think he's going to see some rotation in this game. You know, if we get kicked in the nuts by Demona Sabonis for four straight quarters because we're too stubborn to uh, put Harry Giles over Ennis, there might be a, some some uh, angry people on the timeline. So, uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think th- this game kind of scares me in terms of their bigs. Malcolm Brogdon is a very solid point guard. Aaron Holiday is a young guy that sometimes can shoot, sometimes absolutely cannot. Victor Oladipo, you don't want him to feel empowered in any way. So, you know, the bigs are the real are, are the real frightening part of this team for me. Uh, how do you feel about the Pacers? I think this is the scariest game of the week, especially when the the benches come in and if we we get exposed by smaller, quicker fives, knowing that we like to go a little bit more traditional with, with Mello and Cantor. 
this was a team back in January of last season that Dame kind of continued his hot, torrid streak against, and they had no no answer for him. This is a game where I think he needs to come out aggressive from the jump and really open up the 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 offense. And what I mean by that is come out, be aggressive, attack the basket, maybe pull up from three, you know, really put stress on that defense and then make the the Pacers coaching staff adapt and adjust and put more of an onus on stopping Lillard. And I think that's going to open up, you know, CJ only having to see one defender. Nurk's probably going to have more space to operate. Hopefully, Gary Trent and Rodney and, and Rocco are, are getting better looks uh, off of the dribble penetration. Um, yes, Miles Turner in the past has been known to turn away some shots uh, in the paint. This is still a team that I think you can get into the lane against. You should try to get into the lane against and move the basketball. They've got good defenders. Don't just try and, and do it all yourself. Um, I think the assists are going to be the name of the game here. If we're if we have a high assist number, we're going to be, feel really good about ourselves. But I look for Dame as my X factor to set the tone. I'm just going to go win because I think I, I I don't think in this stretch we can afford many losses. The Pacers, while they are six and three, we should beat them. Um, and hopefully, if we do lose, I, I think it may come down to. A, a coaching battle and there's no way Terry Stott should be getting out coached by a rookie head coach. What do you say? It's tough, man. Cause I, I really think that they have an advantage in the paint against us. So I'm trying to think about how game flow will, will happen against us. I do love Robert defending DeMontis though. You do. I, I, I think DeMontis is absolutely. Get I, I I think Demonis would get his, especially when you switch uh, when he goes up to the five. I think then he's gonna just then maybe go it's an opportunity for Robert to play that small ball five. We have seen Terry in the past shadow players with both Derek and Robert. We saw it with the Lakers, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James. Um, he's Paul done George. it in the past with James Harden. Yeah. Yep. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, absolutely. So I think this might be a night for him to do it, especially because Covington probably is our, our best bet to match up against Savonis. So foul trouble will be a, a huge key as well. But I, I, I like Covington's ability. If, if they want to run offense through Savonis where he is looking to score, that is fine. Savonis kills you as a triple threat playmaker where he gets everyone involved. He's getting offensive rebounds. He's looking also to score. But if you force him into a one-dimensional player, I'll take that. I don't think DeMonte Savonis is capable of putting up 50 and in that 50 being enough to win. So that's what I would do. Part of me wants, you know, you convinced me. I think the Blazers win. But if you have DeMonte Savonis in fantasy, please play him that game because I think he's going to have a big game. At least I'm going to have like 40% DeMonte in that game. I'm just telling you guys now, he's going to be a, he's going to be a, a very, popular play for me up next to round out the week is the atlanta hawks who are on they will be on a three-game road trip they have the suns wednesday the jazz friday and then they play back-to-back portland on saturday um this is a team that portland gets a little lucky with like toronto coming in last game of a road trip tired legs second night of a back-to-back this is a game that I mean, if you're betting, bet the over because oh, both offenses love 
to get busy. I know the Hawks suffered a, a pretty rough injury uh, just recently with uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich having a, a fractured knee. He's out pretty much indefinitely, but uh, Trey Young is going to be absolutely just a, a he's going to be so difficult to deal with on, on that pick and roll. Two fast teams, two teams that really don't care about defense all that much. But I think the Blazers win the rest battle because of the the, the schedule that the Atlanta Hawks are going to be facing. So I think that the, the, the Blazers will win this game. It's going to be a pretty explosive scoring game. I think Dame and CJ both have a very high ceiling game against them. I think Trey Young puts up points. How would you defend Trey Young? I'd probably put uh, DJJ on him for, and then Gary Trent. So this is a team that is very, very banged up right now. We 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 mentioned Bogdanovich, but but Chris Dunn. Yep, Chris Dunn is out. Um, Rajon Rondo. So both of their backup point guards that they signed in free agency. Um, Gallo is out um, and will be reevaluated in in a few weeks. That was as of January second. Um, looked at the calendar, hasn't been a few weeks. Don't expect him to play. Um, and Trey Young's even dealing with with a wrist injury. He's probable uh, tomorrow night against the Sixers. He most likely will play. But this was a deep team that really bolstered their their lineup in the offseason. But you know they're they're dealing with a lot of injuries. You mentioned their their first round pick, uh, Akongu. He's out as well. So I mean, I really want to see how Portland defends Trey Young. Um, he's not too dissimilar from. Steph Curry and how he moves off the ball. And you always have to keep your, your eyes on him. He's like we said, he's lethal with the dribble penetration. Uh, he's great at throwing the lob. So we have to watch out for, you know, John Collins, you know, they have Clint Capella and they have a, a slew uh, of young talent in Deandre Hunter and Cam Reddish. So Portland, I think they have to be in their P's and Q's. Um, Atlanta is not a playoff team over the last couple of years, but they're, they're making that push to do so. I would love alongside of playing uh, DJ on Trey Young. I'd love to get the ball out of his hands. Um, Where would you put Robert? Would you put him on John? I think you have to put Robert on John. And they play a traditional lineup now with with Capella and Collins. Mm -hmm. So you have to have Nurk on on Capella. And I I, I would be fine with with Robert playing um, John Collins. I I would love to see what the Blazers can do in, in a blitzing scenario where you're getting the ball out of Trey Young's hands. Yes, you may give up some open open looks, but this is where great teams make the second and third rotation. Uh, make somebody else put the ball on the floor. Like they, they are really without a second creator. It's Trey is Young. Is Kevin Herter their backup one right now? Yeah, and he's even day-to-day with an ankle injury. So like there's they're, they're dealing They're kind with, of a walking wounded right now. Take advantage yeah. of an injured team. I mean, I think it's going to be a high-paced, high-scoring game. I think that the Blazers are going to be more well-rested and healthier, hope, knock on wood. So I, I think the Blazers win against Atlanta and have a 3 in one week. I've got the Blazers winning as well, going 4-0. I mean, games against the Raptors and Hawks, when you're getting teams coming into your gym – on the last day of a road trip, on the second night of a back-to-back, I mean, those are almost inexcusable to let slip through, you, you know, the cracks or slip through your hands. You have to really take advantage of that 
we saw how well they they played against the Kings the first time. There was nothing really that stood out to me that the Kings could do a lot differently if Portland plays with that same mindset. It's it's that Indiana game for me where you're on you're now on the second night of a back to back. But back to the Hawks, like, and I think all of these games can come down to Terry Stotts, and and that's you know that's the pressure that comes with coaching a team that has high expectations and, and bolster bolster their 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 roster but he now has a lot of tools at his at his disposal like don't just say this is my rotation I'm sticking to it no matter what lineup they're putting out there I, I would love to see him make the adjustments and traditionally when Portland has a really nice win Terry Stotts has his hand in that victory like that game against the Lakers is not one without him shadowing LeBron and AD with our two best defenders. Yeah. Let's I get it. The coronavirus throws a wrench into everything. If you watch the blazer broadcast uh, last night, they're having to do walkthroughs in, in ballrooms with tape on the carpet floors that show, you know, the three point line and God damn, we all know what's going on in the world right now. It's hard to, to stay focused. And so you're trying to prepare for, for adjustments, but you know, if we see them do it a couple of times, I do hope we, we make the adjustment and we're able to really not let what happened in Golden State happen this week where some teams just running the same thing over and over and we're, we're not making a lot of adjustments. So this game could come this week, excuse me, could come down to to our bench. Um, we know our bench isn't the best defensively. And if we kind of fall into our old habits, could we get exposed? Um, so I just I think the coaching is, is going to be huge this week and a four and a week would do wonders for the trailblazers that would put you at nine and four. And then you've got a really nice next week ahead of you to, to round out this, this homestand. And now you're looking at the one, two seed in the West mm-hmm. as you kind of gain momentum going into the season. So it, it's really hard to un to not overstate how important these games are. I mean, they are just so critical because you are seeing a lot of parity in the NBA and teams that are able to take care of their business, especially at home, especially get sub 500 teams. Those are the ones that are going to be, you know, sitting pretty come, come the summertime when the playoff brackets are, are rolled out. So you could hear us on iTunes. We will play Stitcher Himalaya podcast, nothing but net radio dash radio. Um, yeah. You're ruined if you've listened this far and we will see you next week. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!